Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Whispers from the Heart, a mini-series of conversations about our relationships with the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader. And I'm Steph Watts, and we've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've been hungry for more. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. So in this episode, we are talking to Domi Shi. Listeners might remember her short film, Bao, which won the Academy Award a few years ago. And that was one from Pixar. And it's the one about the small little dumpling boy and his mum and their life together. And it may not surprise some listeners to know that I pushed hard for an episode that I knew was going to be all about food. But to satiate Michael, there's a lot of whisper of the heart chat in this one as well. A perfect guest, right? Absolutely, Jake. And that's what's amazing about some of the guests we have in this series is that we love their work already. And then we find out that they're um, as big, if not bigger geeks than we are about Ghibli. (laughs) I think this this is the chat that, that starts that ball rolling. Yeah. And it was such a pleasure to talk to Domi, who is currently directing a feature film for Pixar and due to the pandemic we spoke to her from her home where she was directing the film. So in a way we visited the making of a new Pixar film kind yeah, of we've essentially it was our, our, our own version of a set visit. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific so let's listen to our chat with Domi Shi. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the podcast, Domi Shi. Hi. Thank Thanks. you for having me. <laughs> oh, well, we are we are honored to have you here uh, to talk about, well, animation, Studio Ghibli. Apparently there are other animation studios uh, that also make, <laughs> make animated films, but um, maybe we'll Unimportant. talk about Unimportant. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we are, we are very excited to be talking to you about, I'm sure, lots and lots of lovely Ghibli things. Um, but I think where we always start with any chat that we have is that first Ghibli experience. So I'd, I'd love to ask you, what was the first Ghibli film that you saw and what did you make of it at that time? Oh, uh, the first Ghibli film I saw was Spirited Away. Um, and it was in high school, I think. And uh, yeah, it was... It was amazing. Uh, I watched it in theaters. I watched the English dub, which wasn't terrible for for once. (laughs) Uh, And I just remember being so moved and so like emotional watching moments that seemed so like small and, and not that dramatic. Like I remember bawling my eyes out watching this girl sadly eating a, a rice ball (laughs) and I've never seen that before like I'd never seen a moment like that in the film be so sad uh and I just remember yeah just being so transported by this film like the the animation was so beautiful so rich and I really identified with this main character who's just such a useless whiny brat in the beginning that kind of grows up and I think that was at a perfect point in my life too because I was you know going off to college probably pretty soon and it just felt like a great time in my life to discover this film so that was my first but not my last and I think (laughs) that there is so much in these films I think you could give them to anyone at any point in their lives and they would say and it just came at me just at the right point in my life yes definitely especially ghibli films like after spirited away there was kiki's delivery service and that was totally the college girl movie like i I watched that and i was like freshman year and i totally felt how like how kiki felt she was first when she first moved into the big city having to buy her own you know groceries and getting sick like for, for the first time while you're living by yourself, it was it was too real. And then, you know, encountering unfriendly people and things not working out, right? It, it was, yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> Sad, but great. <laughs> for so many people, Spirited Away was their first taste of Ghibli. And but so you would have been in high school age when you saw it. Had you already seen other anime before that? Or was this like even your first gateway into anime? 
No, I, I've, uh, I've been into anime ever since I was really little. Like, I think I started with Sailor Moon. Um, so I grew up in Canada mm-hmm. and I grew up watching the horrible Sailor Moon dubs, but I just loved that they were middle school, high school girls that were fighting crime and bad guys. And, you know, by night and by day, they were just fashionable, cute, best friends living their school lives. Uh, and then, you know, I was totally into other anime too, like Inuyasha, Fruits Basket. Uh, but I think Ghibli, like Spirited Away was like the first, my expo- my first exposure to like, I guess, I don't know how to describe it, like like crossover, classy, <laughs> fully r- rich uh, Japanese animation. Because before that, it was all TV and, and you know, fun and shallow yeah. stuff <laughs> but yeah so you mentioned kiki's delivery service as being maybe mm-hmm. the the next film that hit you how far down mm-hmm. the rabbit hole did you go after those two films uh i think i pretty much watched all of them at this point uh i went so uh after high school i and i went into animation school mm-hmm. uh at sheridan college i wanted to be an animator and you couldn't escape ghibli in animation school that was the one one of many, you know, uh, things that we just watched on repeat in the animation labs, like as everyone was at their desk animating, but they'll always be playing like either a Disney movie or a Ghibli movie, you know, like on on the projector just at all times. And uh, we all just exchanged DVDs and, you know, shady movie files. And we all just, just gave each other uh, you know, we exposed each other to all of the Ghibli films as a result. I will say that there's still one film I haven't seen all the way through, one mm-hmm. Ghibli film, and that's Grave of the Fireflies. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. It's like, I think I just have to prepare myself for it. I'll start it, and, you know, you see the main character just, like, slowly keel over and die, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> This is going to be a long ride. <laughs> and I know it's going to be like amazing and beautiful and heartbreaking, but I just have not yet put my, like put myself in a place yet where I can just sit down, buckle in and watch well, this. <laughs> I'd love to ask if there were a- any Ghibli specific moments or scenes that you remember that your animation school was kind of putting under the microscope. Was there anything that they made that they, they really wanted you to look at and focus in on? Yeah, a lot of the character moments in um, a lot of their films, uh, Spirited Away, like I think uh, I loved just studying how, you know, how well observed Chihiro's character is animated, you know, like her clumsy movement when she puts on her shoes or she does the little double tap uh, when she slips a shoe on and she just taps it against the ground, like observational stuff like that i think we were encouraged to kind of pay attention to um because i think ghibli films just have a lot of really great rich examples of character acting um Mm. that are just and then just i mean all the animation is just it's it's nuts it's like an animation nerd stream i love coming across pencil tests and of of moments or of, of uh, you know, Ghibli uh, shots and just uh, just 
drooling over them. I think that's what we would do in, in, in the labs is just be, try to find pencil tests and just study them and look at them and feel depressed that we can't do that. <laughs> so. I, I, I was thinking when, in, in preparing to chat with you about the book that I bought when I was out in Tokyo, because of course, in, in, uh, we mentioned this on a previous episode, in Japan, they released the storyboards for all of the Ghibli films in these amazing mm. little volumes. I bought the mm-hmm. volume for Whisper of the Heart, where you have the entire film done as storyboards. Yeah, I have that one too. Yeah. When, you know, that's sort of your first few credits at, at Pixar as a storyboard artist. Yeah. That's something, could you maybe put a finger on some inspiration you could still you'd be still taking from Ghibli there yeah yeah oh man uh I bought a lot of those um storyboard books uh of different Ghibli films yeah I have Whisper of the Heart I think I have Spirited Away and Kiki's Delivery Service too I think uh it's just great because and it's amazing because Miyazaki does it all himself which is insane mm-hmm. compared to um pixar which is like a team of usually seven or eight people and the director doesn't usually storyboard sometimes they do but usually it's just yeah it's like a more collaborative thing and then just seeing uh that all of these films are like they come from like one crazy man's vision which is amazing uh i yeah i, I love studying his uh boards because they're so rough but so clear um and i just love his compositions and just how yeah just how simple and clear his drawings are they're they're really amazing and i think that's that's kind of uh the the uh, heart of any good storyboard is just clarity um and just and but then it's so crazy because then you see that he colors some of his storyboards which is nuts we would never i mean we don't have time to do that in uh you know in feature animation at at pixar but it's so cool seeing the level of detail and then i also like like it was so crazy seeing how he writes the the timing of of each board like i think i watched a documentary where he's like holding a stopwatch and he's like we we don't do that at all uh at, at pixar so it's kind of nuts that he figures out the 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 timing of every shot too it's just it's really cool to see uh and then it just makes you feel lazy (laughs) (laughs) it's like I guess it's like a good thing like if I ever need inspiration I just pop open one of those books and I'm like oh yeah (laughs) I I don't think many people do it that way to be honest it's an incredibly labor intensive (laughs) yeah (laughs) way of doing it What's his current working speed on the on the new film? He's done what, oh gosh, three, three he, minutes. Yeah, it's like what, like four percent done or something, and yeah. it's been five years. <laughs> oh man! Have you seen that documentary where it's him working with the CG artists? And it's just, I mean, it, it's just basically two completely different species almost trying to work together. He's still yeah. there trying to. And he goes up to the computer while while they're animating. He's like, no, like this, and gets out his grid of paper yes. and like, do the timing and everything. That's just not how it works. I know, and I saw how he like tore them apart. Like, I th- I think there's this one moment where I don't remember the context, but they're sh- they're showing him some animation from this uh, horror horror video game, and then he's like, yeah. "What what is this?" Uh-huh. <laughs> he's based t- to paraphrase. It's like this is shit, or like this is terrible, yeah. or something. <laughs> and he's like, "Well, like I don't understand." 
how you could make something like this. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Miyazaki <laughs> <laughs> and Seiji seems like oil and water. But I did get the chance to watch that short that he made, Borrow the Caterpillar. Ah, uh, yeah. It's so strange. It's like really experimental and weird. And he gets, it's all the sound effects are done by this one guy. Like it's it's all just this one dude making these sound effects and there's no music. Uh and yeah, it's mostly CG, but then there's some shots that are hand animated and it's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda cool, but but yeah, it's like whoa. Really, really strange. Have you guys seen it? No. So we we were in Japan when the film that was playing was Mr. Doe and the Egg Princess. Ah, I love which, that one. Yeah, Man. we we were thrilled with that, but uh, I guess it means that we have to do seven more trips back to Japan and the museum so that we can go and watch all of the other ones. I know. I've always wanted to watch either that one or the Sumo Mice mm-hmm. short, but I and I I never like it's just it's always something else. I mean, they're all great, but I think those two are my favorites. I yeah. I I bought the little uh, illustration books that that are, that they make for each short, but I've never actually seen the shorts myself. Mm-hmm. I want to. So you yeah. you have been out to the museum. Yes, I've been. I visited twice in was, the last. Was like, that five as years. a fan, or were you going as? you know after bow after after the work at pixar uh uh as a fan yeah yeah i think i feel like it's a it's a sacred pilgrimage of every animator (laughs) or every animation director or any animation fan to visit the museum at least at least once uh especially if you're in japan yeah but when we were there we saw in the projection booth how whenever they have an animator invited there as a guest they get to sketch one of their characters, so you get to see Wallace and Gromit, or who, if Arden oh. there, or Michelle Ocelot's gonna got a sketch there. Steven Spielberg did an ET there somewhere as well. Oh, really? So, That's I mean, amazing. We'd love, we'd, we'd love to see the little down, little bow guy. Uh, there oh man, yes, I want them to invite me so I can draw <laughs> a bow. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Because <laughs> um, of course, like. Actually, you know, this is a humble brag. This is a reference drop, name drop. But when I interviewed Isao Takahata uh, way back when, the mm-hmm. one in animation company he talked about as you know, as inspiring him still was Pixar. And we, we hear so much about this relationship between Pixar and Ghibli. And is all that true? Are there, is, is, is there um, a kinship there? Are they you looking at their work, taking inspiration, etc.? Oh, yeah. I think there's a ton of directors and artists that are currently working at Pixar that just love Ghibli films and I yeah and I think there's you know there's always been a connection between the two studios I think because uh John Lasseter was like the person that kind of brought Spirited Away and a lot of the Ghibli films like he helped bring them over to North America and to the western audiences so I think there's always been a connection there um yeah and i think you know pixar is you is a unique animation studio too in that they also care a lot about the quality of their films and the message and they like like each film is like a labor of love as well um it takes us at least five years to make one film um maybe more you know and that's kind of similar to ghibli and how 
you know, we, we're all kind of perfectionists and we all just love the medium so much. And it's more than just money, I think. So I think that's, that's why there's a special connection between the two. And there's always this uh, tradition where uh, Ghibli would always show uh, their new film at Pixar first. Uh, like they'd bring it to the studio and, and show it um, to the p- people at the studio. And that's how we, I, f- I felt so lucky. Like that's how we got to watch like Princess Kaguya and The Wind Rises. Like a, like a lot of those, the, the last couple films, they kind of premiered them at Pixar, which is really cool. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you, do, you, do you know if they've seen <laughs> Belle? Uh, I think somebody told me that they screened it for a small group, including Suzuki-san, and that he liked it. And then I was like, that's all I need. (laughs) But I really wanted Takahata to watch it, too, because really, you know, uh, I was really inspired by Yamada's, um, and I... And, and that was a huge inspiration for the look and the feeling of Bao and just, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that's, yeah. I can see in, in the character design in that, mm-hmm. a, a real link between that and Yamada's. And we've, mm-hmm. we've, you've spoken about Miyazaki and how much he's like on the page with every storyboard. And it's fast, always been fascinating to me that Takata is, is not an artist. Yeah. And so I, we would love, yeah. Um, what what do you see as those as those differences between them? As oh, their works? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's like I see Miyazaki as like a filmmaker that finds the realism and magic, and then Takahata finds the magic and realism, <laughs> and they're kind of you know, like opposites, but they complement each other in that way. And um, man, I just love Takahata's film so much because, yeah, they're they're so beautiful, so subtle, so like slice of life. And I like that kind of stuff. Just it's so powerful to me. And it's and you don't see that a lot in Western animation. Um, and it was just something I really wanted to capture and, and express in, in Bao, like, how you know like the meticulous process of rolling out dough and you know folding a dumpling just right uh and just like shots of characters eating um it it makes them feel so real and tactile and alive and uh i feel like takahata is so so good about that and i feel like you don't really see that a lot in western animation like characters just kind of living sitting eating because that's considered quote shoe leather which i kind of understand because man animation is really expensive and like a minute of animation is like a million dollars but (laughs) i think that just adds to yeah just to to the believability of 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 the characters and that's that's what draws me so much to takahata's work Um, yeah I think Jake is mere seconds away from relating the documentary footage of Takahata agonizing over how to, what is he, what are they trying to cut? Is it a melon? It's a melon. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you, you might've seen if you've watched up to a certain point of Grave of the Fireflies, the, 
the cutting of a melon and then going back into Kaguya however many years later and redoing it because the cutting of the melon wasn't quite right. Oh, I remember seeing that in a documentary about that. Yeah, him agonizing over the melon animation. Yeah. Oh, man. We had similar moments like that on Bao. Um like the first couple shots of the, the the mom character making like rolling out the dough and folding the dumpling are actually the most technically expensive and complicated out of the entire short. Uh, and I just remember having to, you know, ha- like having meetings with the with the simulation team and then being like, does does the mom character have to, you know, like poke her thumbs through the do- the, the dough and turn it into a donut because that's very complicated and expensive to do. Like, couldn't we hide it in a cut? And I'm like, no, we have to see it all rolled out, no cutting. Because this is just a really cool, it, it was just me geeking out over mm-hmm. dumpling making, but I thought it was really important that we depict that. And I also thought in my head, like, Takahata wouldn't have a cut in there either. <laughs> he'd, <laughs> he'd want to play the whole thing out as well. And um, I mean, f- food is something that, I mean, I would say that maybe I have brought up on the podcast more than Michael has. And uh, in going so far as a few, episodes ago dedicating a whole episode to food um but i'm gonna do it again and uh domi what why do you think or what do you think is so special about ghibli food and why do you think like obviously you you make a a, you've made bao which is so dedicated to food what is it about food in animation that is just so special oh man well food in ghibli films especially is amazing uh they just put so much love and attention to detail and in 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 the way that it looks in the way that the characters eat it like the observation and you know like characters will blow on the food and like not just eat it in one clean bite like they'll nibble on it or rip it or tear it and roll it around in their mouths it's it's like food porn uh i mean i think it's it it just makes the world feel more believable and, and and appealing like seeing characters eat and enjoy food is so universal because food is universal like delicious food is just how it's, it's just an uh an immediately uh gettable thing you know like uh and it can it can just immediately grab an audience's attention and pull them into a into a movie um and i think for you know for us on bow like food was an expression of the mom character's love for her uh you know for her uh, for her family for her son um and i don't know about like maybe this is true for japanese culture but for chinese culture like food is it's how you express love too like you don't use it with words you use it with food and maybe that's also the case for ghibli films too like i could just see love through each of those shots of, of food and you know I think it's a, it's just another way to communicate, you know? Yeah. And well, as, as well as all that love that's in Bao, there was a, another element which I felt was something that came over maybe from Ghibli, which was a, a real scary moment. Because I, I, when the, when the mum eats the Bao... <laughs> Yeah. And like if you if you're a kid watching that that's that's scary and I think yeah. that was something that Ghibli was unafraid of in their quote unquote kids films was mm-hmm. not necessarily testing kids limits but letting them 
kind of be afraid of something and and going through that and getting out the other side yeah yeah it was important for me to keep that that moment um not that I purposely wanted to traumatize kids but you know I think yeah like you said I think Ghibli doesn't shy away from exposing kids to those dark like darker themes and elements of 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 the world because I think those are also important lessons to 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 teach kids and I think for me like you know, I was inspired by Ghibli, but also classic fairy tales too, like the little gingerbread man and Brothers Grimm. And they also never really shied away from the dark stuff either. Uh, I think that's what makes stories memorable too. Like if, if there's a little bit of edge or like a, like a little darkness in them. I remember being freaked out by Little Red Riding Hood as a kid because just the thought of the grandma and Little Red Riding Hood in the wolf's stomach the whole time kind of weirded me out. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's cool. It, you remember it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I certainly remember that moment. I, I remember it was a press screening in, in London and I don't know if it's the same in LA when they do the press screenings for kind of family films, but they just pack it out with families and kids and everyone and the collective gasp that went over the theatre <laughs> at that moment. And even rewatching the film this morning, it's the way that it's the timing of it, how it suddenly happens at that moment of sort of emotional tension. Um, it's it's just so well executed uh, and it's what you remember but it's also just a, a, a fantastic short in its own right I know we're a couple of years late but just congratulations it's so fantastic um, thank you so much do, do, do we know what you're doing next oh I mean all I can say is I am currently directing a feature film at Pixar and hopefully we can talk about it soon soon maybe okay. next year <laughs> but that's what I've been working on for the last couple of years yeah. hand drawing and painting every single storyboard <laughs> oh yeah totally I'm totally doing that all on my own no it's uh I, you know I feel so lucky to be able to make a, a feature at Pixar and just collaborate collaborating with like some of the most talented people you know in the in the industry it's 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 amazing I, I suppose one, you know, we, we talked so much about how Ghibli and Pixar have you know, quite a lot of affinity in terms of the way they, you know, the, the, the quality and the quality mm-hmm. control going into the films. But it always strikes us as so wild when we go into the context and production history of Miyazaki movies and find out mm-hmm. that he just figures out the third act on the fly. Like he'll be, he'll start doing the storyboards, animation's happening and they don't even know how it's going to end. <laughs> and Pixar, of course, are known for being absolute kind of experts and masters of story. <laughs> Uh, story teams cracking the story everything what <laughs> how do you reckon with that as a fan of those films yeah actually it's not it's it's actually not too unsimilar to okay. <laughs> how Pixar <laughs> films are made uh especially that like last third act stuff um it takes us a long time at Pixar to make films uh but we're also like because we're redoing and rewriting the story and just iterating a million times just to get it perfect but then that also means we you know like Miyazaki we're like changing and like like rewriting stuff up until the last possible moment there have been a lot of I think there's been quite a few films where like act three has not been figured out yet and the production has been 
like is already rolling on on animating and building act one and two and uh yeah as i'm as i'm going into this process myself as a director it's kind of crazy because they're like you have to keep up with quota and you start to have to uh approve sequences and scenes to you know like locking them uh when you haven't quite figured out the entire movie yet because you have you know animators to feed layout artists to feed like other departments down the pipeline to feed so slowly the film begins the the story begins to harden in certain areas and there's still some wiggle room here and there like act three like parts of act two but um yeah it's kind of crazy it's not a it's not like a chronological like clear thing where you figure out the script then you storyboard the whole thing and that's done and then you move on to animation like it's all happening kind of there's a messy overlap (laughs) it's kind of stressful but kind of interesting at the same time so do do you ever have to throw throw much away oh yeah oh my gosh uh so much as a story artist on the first couple of films i worked on uh oh my gosh so much was thrown away (laughs) i think 99 90% of this of the boards you draw as a story artist get thrown away because uh your job is kind of to help the director throw things against the wall to see what sticks so they'll come to you with pages sometimes that they literally wrote like 30 minutes ago and they're like try this and then and then you're like okay and then you board this whole scene of yeah a character running through a location or or something and then they they quickly cut it into edit and then they're like oh this doesn't work or this messes with the pacing never mind and then they throw it out and then you're like okay what's my next scene <laughs> uh and you know that that's that just just makes you realize that you have to love the process and not the goal or like like love the process more than the goal and it's it's less about each individual drawing and it's more about you know helping the director you know find the the big picture at the sacrifice of all those drawings (laughs) and now you are the director uh has that changed your relationship to your story artists Uh, i mean i feel like i'm more i think i'm more sensitive to that like i feel bad when i throw stuff out (laughs) but you know sometimes you 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 have to like I'm I'm not afraid to to cut stuff and to you know kill your babies so to speak but I I do I I am trying to do the think twice draw once kind of a mentality um, when it comes to this film because there are some films that you know they're just like they just there's just a huge ton of boards that they would throw out and I'm just trying to be a little bit more conscious of of that and I think that it it just helps with the writing process too because then if you spend more time writing and think and mulling it over in your head uh you know I think that's better for the story and for the for the film in the long run um so that's that's what I've been trying to do with you know varying results (laughs) yeah it's hard man (laughs) yeah (laughs) So uh, we've 
spoken a lot about Miyazaki and Takahata, but there's there's one film that we haven't spoken about, which Michael, you you'll, you'll be waiting for this moment in in any episode. Really, uh, it's time to talk about Whisper of the Heart, which uh, is yes. of course your well, Michael, it is to you the best Ghibli film. It's my favorite by not not I'm not by far. I mean, it's, it's it's the one that I have at the top of my ranking. If someone asks me for one, it's also the one that I always pull out as a recommendation. Are you a fan of that film? Oh my god, yes. It is yes, it is also one of my favorite films. It is my favorite non-Miyazaki Takahata Ghibli film for sure. Uh I love that film so much. It's so good. It also makes me cry. <laughs> and I relate to it so much like being a, you know, young plucky girl that wants to be a creative writer. <laughs> it's so good. Well, it's just exactly that thing, isn't it, about finding the magic in the everyday. It's that mm-hmm. exploration of the creative mind. I, I mean, of course, they have the bits where they go into her, the book she's writing, into her dreams. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I love is that sequence where she sees the cat on the train and you just think, where, why is the cat on the train? Where's that cat going? Let's follow it. Let's have an adventure. And really, we've been to that suburb in Western Tokyo. Um, that was probably the nerdiest thing that I I enforced <laughs> on the team when we were out there. That's um, and you can actually go to the train station. That The jingle at the, the station <gasps> is country roads as you get off the train. Aww. And you can follow up these winding, hilly roads into the suburb. I mean, it's not exactly one-to-one the same because, of course... That, you know, the Ghibli magic is to make that suburb look absolutely incredible mm-hmm. but that's what that's the power of the film isn't it that uh it's the humdrum boring life but with a hyper hyperactive imagination it can turn into your own fantasy film totally so cute I, yeah I love that moment too and I, I love the moment where she's like jamming with you know, the boy, I forgot his name, and then the, all the old men come in with their instruments and she's just singing so earnestly. And she's not the best singer, but she's like trying her best. It's so cute. It's such a cute film. It's so good. So, so I think that's the one that I recommend people if they ever ask me for a Ghibli film that they might, maybe, maybe they've seen Spirited Away, they've seen you know, the, the big hitters. What's the one they go for? Mm-hmm. I think, Jake, is yours Porco Rosso the one you always go to? Would you say? Yeah, I think so. If, if you're not going for the big hitters, but I think Porco Rosso is just a condensed piece of fun, and uh, it's just such a great adventure film. Uh, but then I was raised on a diet of Indiana Jones, so if I'm going to embark on <laughs> uh, animation, I'm probably going to enjoy Porco Rosso the most. Oh, so, I love Porco Rosso. Domi, do, do you have a Ghibli film you recommend to people if they say, "I've seen Spirited Away"? Where do I go next? Uh, I'd recommend. Kiki's delivery service. Yeah. It just feels like such a fun and yeah, like magical and, and cute story. Uh I love the you know, there's a talking cat. Can't go wrong with that. And the the lessons that it it teaches the viewer about life, about how shitty life can be. <laughs> it's so good. Uh the you know the bakery and all the all the the baked goods food porn all that stuff is great there's an amazing cast of strong female characters in that movie too which i think is so unusual and awesome like all these cool women that kiki meets along the way like the hippie like the janky hippie divvy (laughs) artist in the woods and the 
really cool baker lady and uh the and even the you know the old lady there's just some really cool it's just a really cool movie in general you know yeah I, I think I think I mentioned this when we did our episode all about it, but I remember comparing it to Inside Out, another film that you worked on, because of it it ending on a note that is not pure happiness, that there is a lesson in it, that it's okay to not just be at 100% positive all the time, and that, mm-hmm. that Kiki, yeah. Kiki resolves that she's going to accept that she's going to be homesick and sad, but that's okay because of these other things as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I love that feeling in all of his movies. Except for Whisper of the Heart, which I always thought had a really funny, abrupt ending. Like, <laughs> like marry me! Okay! I love you! <laughs> and then Country Road! And, and I'm like, whoa, okay! <laughs> Alright, we're wrapping this up. <laughs> I never quite understood that ending, but, but it's... It's cute. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, you'd never guess that he doesn't know how to finish his films. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what he'd say about it if someone asked him, like, what was the ending all about? It's like, uh, who needs to know the rest? They're going to get married. It's fine. <laughs> random thought came into my head. Uh, I was rewatching, this is so random, The Sound of Music. Okay. But that whole opening, if you guys remember, where she, you know, she's on the hills in Vienna, or like in, I don't know, Austria or something, and she's like singing. Uh, it's very Ghibli-like. I feel, I don't know, I can't prove this, but I feel like Miyazaki must have seen this movie and has been, have been inspired by it, because there's so many, it's in that opening sequence where she's on the hills, there's so many shots of her just like singing longingly on a grassy hill and it's windy and there's like beautiful puffy white clouds and like blue behind her and i'm like that's she's such a ghibli girl that, that's <laughs> she's such a, a ghibli girl that's a supercut waiting to happen climb every mountain is your your yeah. bed with music and then we have all of the blue sky green hill shots from howl's moving castle from kiki's Yo. delivery service uh, <laughs> yeah. when marnie was it's, there you can get them all in there it's so good <laughs> Yes, I'm sure he's a fan. I have no proof of this, That's but I it. feel him in that movie. <laughs> or just the opening. <laughs> uh, Domi, thank you so much. This has been so great. I mean, Jake and I are just nerds. We don't have an artistic bone in our body. I mean, <laughs> St- Steph is the artist. She's incredibly talented, but we love these films and we do love the process. So actually speaking to somebody who can give us insight into as an artist, as an animator, writer, director, all the things you do. And also we're fans of your work as well. It's been so, so great talking with you. Um, one thing before we sign off. So mm-hmm. we started this podcast saying, Jake, I'm going to make you watch all of the Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. And we've done that now. Mm-hmm. And so to not to put you on the spot, but if he, we were going to go and watch another anime, maybe we can broaden it out to animated film oh. from outside of Japan if you have something that comes to mind. But what should we subject Jake to next? Ooh, uh, has he seen any Mamoru Hosoda films? Have you, Jake? I mean, you've, you've, you've seen one, right? I have. Uh, I saw Mirai and I was lucky enough to see it at the IMAX cinema for a kid's screening uh, ah. And I did a lot of crying. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would say he, that's yeah. my one Hasoda. Yeah, yeah, maybe uh, the girl who left through time. That's my, that's my other. That's, that's my, my favorite non 
non-Ghibli Japanese animated film is The Girl Who Left. It's, it's, it's a really so good, good one. It's so good. That and Summer Wars is great too. He's, oh. I mean, he, yeah, he's great. He's actually he he was supposed to direct Howl's Moving Castle, mm-hmm. but then he got fired or something, or I don't know what happened. But uh, he he's one of the other great ones. I think. My, Michael, I feel a mini series coming on. Yeah, we're going to have to do it, aren't we? There's, we've had, I mean, now that's that's an expert opinion that you should go to Hosoda next. So, um, yes, uh, invite me we, back we, for yeah, that because I love give that up. I love Mamoru Hosoda. <laughs> I met him at the Oscars two years ago when I went for Bao because he was nominated for Mirai, and it was so embarrassing because it was at the luncheon and I saw him, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to talk to him. And then I came up to him and he had his translator mm-hmm. there and and then I just burst into tears. <laughs> and then he was like, Nani, Nani, Nani. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I just really love the girl who loved their time meant so much to me in college. And, da, da, da. and then I was like, can I just hug you? And he's like, yes, sure. And then I just hugged him. And then he was like, that was so good. Or, or I, I think he said it in Japanese. It was like something, something bow something something sugoi des and then i was like crying i was like no you sugoi man you sugoi <laughs> and then my boyfriend was just like kind of in the background with like standing with his producer and his producer was like wow she's like a super fan and then he's like yeah she's kind of like an otaku for his work and then i'm just like ah. <laughs> so. Yes, that's me embarrassing myself in front of one of my animation heroes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's very cringy, but kind of hilarious when you think about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was really fun talking to you guys. Thanks yeah, th- this has been really, really lovely. Thank you so much, Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much to Domi Shi there for chatting to us all about Ghibli and her work and a little mention of Mamoru Hosoda. Maybe we'll get to that at some point. What do you think? Hmm. Well, I know you, you do love your Digimon, don't you, Jake? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they are the champions. Um, well, I, I'm already one for one on Hosoda. I saw Mirai uh, at the big screen IMAX at a kids London film festival screening a few years ago and absolutely loved it. And, I, I'm, and I'm sure that the Digimon movie is an, an equal film to Mirai. We're already coming out of this miniseries with so many ideas for potential other miniseries, right? <laughs> but next week, we're going back to basics. It's going to be a Ghibli-heavy episode, speaking with a person who worked at Ghibli. This is Steve Alpert. We've mentioned his name before. He was the first head of international for Ghibli, hired back in the 90s when Ghibli was expanding into the American market. So he was there when all of the Princess Mononoke stuff went down, when Spirited Away, when it's Oscar. Um, he wrote a book that was published in Japanese that's been translated into English now called Sharing a House with the Neverending Man, um, which is fantastic. We'll talk more about that in our next episode. But until then, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at ghibli at little.studios.com or you can follow us on Twitter at Ghibliotech and Michael is on Twitter at Michael J. Leader. And Jake is on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. And you can follow Steph at underscore Steph Watts.
Bibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts and Harold McShiel. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.